0: Good morning, good to see you today. Last Sunday, Faith was not here because she was sick, and uh, she very sweetly passed on to me, whatever it was I think that she had, so I'm not sure what's going to come out this morning as far as sounds. Uh, It's affected my throat. Um, Since this is my last Sunday with you, I I thought about uh, asking somebody else to speak, but I wanted to have the opportunity to share with you today one of the advantages is I can hit those low notes on the songs at uh, bass level. I think I'm about almost an octave lower, so that's, that's fun. But uh, I'll probably start out a little bit softly, and uh, then we'll see where it goes. I'll either get louder, or maybe I'll just go away, and uh, we can finish early. How about that? <laughs> so we'll see how it goes this morning, but I do want to share the word with you. And I just want to say that I appreciate the opportunity that you've given me to serve here for uh, the past year and three months or so uh, as interim pastor. And it has been my joy as well as my wife's, my wife's and my joy to get to know you and uh, just to fellowship with you in the Lord and share in ministry with you and in life with you and uh, to preach the word to you uh, has been a great blessing for me. I hope it has been encouraging and equipping for you individually as well as as a church and also the opportunity to provide input into the direction of this church and I'm very, very thankful for those opportunities. And I do want to to say thank you to you for giving me uh, the, the opportunity to serve the church and to serve you in this way. Uh, I know that Scott Owen was here this last Wednesday and uh, you all are praying and considering steps uh, here in the near future. I know you have uh, preachers that are scheduled for the weeks ahead, and so I trust that God will continue to direct you and uh, to give you wisdom for what those next steps will be. So very, very grateful for the opportunity to serve here and and to serve with you. Uh, I'll be here Wednesday night, and uh, we'll have uh, some time together in the word and in prayer here together on Wednesday. If there is one thing that I could encourage you to do as a church. It is to be Christ-focused. Christ-focused. Now, that goes without saying, right? And it's obvious. It also sounds very general and broad and pretty simple. And so the question is, what is it? What does it mean to be Christ-focused? Paul wrote about this in Colossians chapter 1. So let's look together at Colossians chapter 1. An interesting aspect of being a Christian in a church is that we can actually have a self-centered view of church. Again, that seems, seems a little bit too obvious, right, or, or goes without saying. We shouldn't be self-centered about church, but the fact is that because of our humanness, because of our fallenness, we can actually have a self-centered view of church, We can view church through the lens of what do I like about this church? What does this church do for me? We can develop a consumer mentality about church or form a narrow set of preferences that we want to characterize our church. And we need to be aware of this tendency and do what is in our power to overcome it. You all just took a major step as a church last weekend. Praise the Lord that you were able to formulate and as a church adopt a new constitution and bylaws and church covenant. It's a great step for you. I want to encourage you to resolve to carry out those principles and the practices that come out of them in a way that elevates Jesus Christ. That isn't just a new way to think about church or hopefully something helpful as you take next steps, but as principles and practices that you carry out in a way that elevates Christ, that is motivated by Jesus Christ and that accomplishes the purpose of Jesus Christ for his church. Paul prayed for uh, this this church in Colossae, that they would be a Christ-centered church, and so that is My challenge to you this morning is to be a Christ-centered church. If we were to have a vote, all those in favor, I think you would say, yes, that is what we want. We want to be a Christ-centered church. So the question then is how. How can you be a Christ-centered or a Christ-focused church? The terms are interchangeable in the way that I'm using them here this morning. Another way to say it is what do you focus on? If you want to be a Christ-focused church, first of all, I'll give these to you um, very clearly and hopefully you can capture these, remember them and implement them. First of all, focus on the will of Jesus Christ. Focus on the will of Christ. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. I'll start reading with verse 9. For this reason, Paul says, We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now there are deep and profound truths that we could explore In this passage we're going to look at this morning, there are intricate details, there are specific instructions that Paul gives that we could focus on. We're going to take a little bit of a a broader view, a little bit more of a bird's eye view at this, and look at some of the highlights. So first of all, focus on the will of Christ. He says, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. God has a will. It's what he desires. God's will is what fulfills his purpose. God's will is what carries out his plan. It's what he wants. We can come into a church setting with our own agenda, our own vision, our own memory of how things were, our dream of how things could be, our checklist of what we think church should be like. But what we need to do is take all of that and bring it into submission to the will of Jesus Christ. Now, some of those points, some of those practices may align with what he wants. But our attitude needs to be, Lord Jesus, I am here and this church is here to submit to and to carry out your will. What do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? He does spell it out fairly clearly in verse 10, where he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord. So that means that your conduct would correspond to who Jesus is and what he does instruct us to do. So it does affect how you live your daily life. Fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And so our our lives should be oriented toward bringing glory and honor and even, we would say, pleasure to God. And be productive, be fruitful, bear spiritual fruit in our lives, bear fruit as a church, to be productive, to be prospering and thriving as a church. And what he's saying is, I'm praying that you will know his will completely and fully and that God would give you the wisdom and understanding so that you will apprehend what his will is for you, not just so that you can know it, but so that you will do it, right? So that you'll walk worthy, so that you'll carry it out. Whose will matters in the church? Jesus' will does, doesn't it? We have a view of how we think church should be in a Christ-focused church. Your focus is on his will, not your own. There's a second way to be a Christ-focused church. Let me read for us starting in verse 15. He is the image, speaking of Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. What beautiful language Paul uses to just just point up to Jesus. And what he's saying is everything, everything in the expanse of the known universe points to Jesus as the creator. Everything within the microcosm of even a local church like this one points to Jesus Christ and elevates him. So, the second way to be a Christ focused church is to focus on the preeminence, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, as Paul says at the end of verse 18, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The word preeminence means the place of highest supremacy. And not just on some kind of, of a marble pedestal or ensconced in a decorative, ornate niche in a wall. But truly elevated in our hearts and minds and lives and in the church to the place of highest supremacy. That's what it means to be preeminent. Colossae was a town in East Turkey, what we think of today as East Turkey. There was a group of new Christians, and just like today, there were false ideas being spread around about Jesus and about the Christian life. One of them in this region was that Jesus was one of several intermediaries between man and God. So Paul said in another place in the scriptures, there are how many mediators? How many? There is one mediator, right, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Well, they they believed in numerous mediators between man and God. And that Jesus was one of the many and he was no more important than the others and no more powerful than the others. And Paul was emphasizing that Jesus is the only way to God. And Jesus is the only one who accomplished what was necessary to bring us to God. And Jesus Christ is the only one who has that place of supreme sovereignty over all. That he does, in fact, reign. That he is the preeminent one, not just one of the many. He is the only way to God and the only one who is fully qualified and able to bridge the gap between man and God. And he is supreme over everything. Verses 15 to 17. and 15 to 17, Paul declares that he is supreme over creation and everything in it. From the, the cloudy expanse of the galaxies that we see, spread all across a dark night sky to a little tiny almost microscopic little insect that you see crawling across your patio or something he's the lord of all of it he made it all he reigned supreme over creation and everything in it and as in as verse as verse 18 says he is supreme over the church and everyone in it He is sovereign, he is supreme, he is preeminent over the church and everyone in it. So, as we sing, praise him. As we sing, you are worthy. As we sing, Jesus paid it all. We are singing from our hearts that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. And engaging our minds, engaging our hearts, engaging our passions and our energy and our gifts, our music, our language to praise him. And focus on the preeminence of Christ in worship. Even as we fellowship, we have many things in common, just as people, as human beings, as, as uh, students of a certain school, or people who have a certain kind of background, or whatever it might be. But we also have differences, don't we? We have differences in our backgrounds, experiences, cultures, views on certain things. But as we fellowship, what is it that brings us together? It is Christ, isn't it? So Christ should be supreme in our fellowship. Christ should be supreme in our preaching. We preach the word, we preach the scriptures, but as we preach the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel, the whole the whole body of truth of God's word points to Christ. It anticipates Christ. It presents Christ. It shows the consummation in the end times of, of Jesus' person and work and all that relates to that. And our preaching should reflect that. Our meetings, our discussions, our decisions... And I say our, I mean your, your worship, your fellowship, your preaching, your meetings, your discussions, your decisions, your relationships should all reflect that Jesus Christ is supreme. So to be a Christ-focused church, focus on the will of Christ. Focus on the preeminence of Christ. And then number three, focus on the fullness of Christ. Focus on the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 19. For it the Father that in him, that's in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. The fullness is talking about all the fullness of who God is. The fullness of the nature and the character of the person of God. As Paul said later, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus Christ is not partially God. He is not a lesser God. He is God. He is the Son of God and God the Son. And the church focuses on Christ in all that he is. And this does have a direct correlation to the church. Jesus brought the fullness of God when he came as a man. Let's review something. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I've endeavored to bring this out various times along the way over the past year or so, and we did spend some significant time last fall and Wednesday nights focusing on this truth. Let me just highlight it for you again and remind you of it here this morning in connection with focusing on the fullness of Christ. Look at John, chapter 1, starting in verse 14. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So John is describing here the fullness of Christ, isn't he? And he's saying that it includes these facets of his person and his character. And these two facets include grace and truth. So Jesus is full of grace and truth. Grace is God's favor. It's God's goodness. It's the favor he shows that is not deserved And Jesus exhibited God's grace. Jesus demonstrated God's grace. Jesus spoke of God's grace. And truth is what's real. It's what's right. And Jesus spoke the truth. And Jesus lived with complete integrity. And we we took a walk through some of the the scenarios in the Gospel of John on those Wednesday nights and and highlighted how Jesus did this. how How he showed grace and how he shared truth with various kinds of people. And now go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And here Paul says something similar to what he said in the book of Colossians. But ties it directly to the church in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. Look at Ephesians 1 starting in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, that's Christ, to be head and supreme right preeminent over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all so there's some way in which the church yes broadly universally the church but also definitely locally your church there's some way in which your church represents the fullness of Jesus Christ and that fullness includes grace and truth go one more place Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 Ephesians 4:13 this is dropping right down in into the process Paul's describing of how he has given gifts to the church in the form of of evangelists and pastors and teachers for this age to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or fully grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There it is. So if you just think in terms of grace and truth, you as a church are to be maturing toward being more and more gracious And more and more filled with truth, right? And that's internally showing grace with one another and speaking truth in love to one another. And externally showing grace to the people around you in this immediate neighborhood, the people that live next to you, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, and speaking truth in love. To them as well. So that is God's will. For this church. That is Christ's purpose. For this church. Now as we go back over to Colossians. Chapter 1. He, he says that, that it pleased the Father. Verse 19. That in him all the fullness should dwell. And, and that becomes the pattern. For you as a church to focus on. Focus on the fullness of Jesus Christ. Grow In your understanding of the grace of God and exhibiting the grace of God. Grow in your understanding of the truth of God and expressing that truth among yourselves and to others as well. Another way to have a Christ focused church is in verses 20 through 23, and it is, number four, to focus on the cross of Christ. Focus on the cross of Christ verse 20 and by by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether those whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I Paul became a minister So he's talking about Jesus cross he's talking about his death his sacrifice shedding his blood as the payment for our sins he he Uh, puts it in that package called the gospel and he says he says you heard the gospel you believe the gospel you were reconciled to God and he's encouraging them to keep focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ have you been reconciled to God by the cross of Jesus Christ our sins make us the enemies of God Our sins put a barrier, a blockade between us and God. But Jesus, when he paid the price for our sins, shedding his blood in our place, made the full payment. So that that barrier can be removed. So that the offense can be taken away. So that we can be restored to the kind of relationship with God that he intended us to have. Reconciled to him. Brought together with him. This is the most important thing that everybody around you needs to know, isn't it? We are separated from God by our sin. We can be reconciled to God through Christ because of the cross. What a simple and clear message. What is the status of your gospel impact on the people around you? Where does it stand? Over the past year we've spent a lot of time emphasizing that. We spend a good bit of Time on Wednesday nights, encouraging and equipping in that area of sharing the gospel with the people around you. What is the status of that? Have you started and stopped? Have you prayed and then stopped praying? Have you initiated a relationship and then kind of let let it dwindle? Pick it up again. Pray for those people. Resume that relationship. Share the gospel. Focusing on the cross of Christ means believing the gospel. It includes living the gospel. In fact, if we, we, we won't get into it this morning, but in chapter 3, Paul lays out how the gospel and the cross of Christ and our union with Christ and his death and resurrection transforms our lives. So the gospel should change our lives. We focus on, on that every single day. How is your life changing now? Are you repudiating sinful attitudes and words and actions? Are you putting them off, as, as he says? And are you, are you adopting? Are you implementing? Are you, are you intentionally adding into your life those qualities, attitudes, actions, words that reflect the likeness of Jesus Christ? Because that's what Christ has made possible for you on the cross. So focusing on the cross of of Christ means believing and living and sharing the gospel. And then number five, focus on the body of Christ. Focus on the body of Christ. So the will of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the cross of Christ. And now Paul talks about the body of Christ starting in verse 24. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which, so the the church, the body of Christ, he says, "Of, of this church. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. So here Paul is saying his life and ministry have been focused on serving and suffering for the body of Christ. And there's an example there for us, isn't there? To focus on the body of Christ, which is the church. Paul suffered for the body of Christ. You and I have to be willing to endure some hardship, don't we? Church isn't always easy. And church isn't always safe. And who knows what that might look like in the years ahead, in your lives, as young people. Who knows what it may cost you to be a Christian, to gather with other believers. And it may get harder for us. Very likely will. But that's what we do, isn't it? We endure the hardship. That's it. that's part of being a Christian and part of being a member of the body of Christ. Paul served the body of Christ. He he poured out his energy. He he devoted his gifts. He dedicated his time. He spent his life serving the church, the body of Christ. And there's an example there for us as well. Wherever you are in life, young, middle age, older, however many drops of, however many grains of sand in that hourglass are left, whether the top is mostly full or halfway, or you're kind of watching it drain out near the near the bottom, what's left? Use it for Jesus, right? Invest it in the church. And commit yourself to the body of Christ. Times of transition in a church are times of uncertainty. What's going to happen? Who's going to be here? What's it going to look like in six months or a year? But those are also times to say, you know what? My feet are planted. I'm in. I'm committed. I want to be part of what God is doing here. Focusing on the body of Christ. So focus on the will of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the cross of Christ, the body of Christ, and then one more. In verses 27 through 29, focus on the purpose, the purpose of Christ. To them, God willed to make known, verse 27 What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect. That means mature, fully grown, complete, in Christ Jesus and look at what Paul says in verse 29 to this end I also labor striving according to his working which works in me mightily if if there's a centerpiece of all of this I think it's there in in verse 28 Christ in you the hope of glory it can mean Christ among you like the group of people the church right he is, he is among you. He is central to your, your gathering, to your group, to your, your assembly. He's, he is the centerpiece of your church. It can mean that. But, but it's likely it goes further than that. And he's not just talking to the group. He's talking to each individual because that's, that's where this goes. Every man, every man. So it's the idea that Christ is actually in each one of you. And we know that's true. As the Holy Spirit indwells you, when you trust Christ as your Savior, he resides in you, you become his place of residence. And and so in the person of the Holy Spirit, Christ is in you. And that is the hope. That is what gives you the confidence that one day you will fully experience all the glory that God has for you. The glory of being like Christ. The glory of being with Christ. The glory of reigning in his kingdom with him. All of it is yours because Christ is in you. And he says we preach Christ. Again, everything everything goes back. All the, all the prepositional phrases keep pointing back. In him, in whom, in Christ. So, so whom we preach, he says. So what are we doing? We're preaching. But his preaching and and his his public ministry, but also his personal ministry of of warning and teaching, as he describes in verse 29, have a purpose. And the purpose is in the last part of that verse where he says that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What he's talking about is the ultimate outcome of all of this. He, He redeems you. He reconciles you. He gives you the ability to grow and to serve in the church. And we're all making that. That progressive, we're in that progressive process. But there's an outcome he has in mind, right? And it is that we would be ultimately everything God intends for us to be. All he created you to be in Christ. Mature in the sense of fully resembling Jesus in his character. Not in all of his power, not in his glory, but in the character that God intends for us to have. So, so what is it? What's spiritual growth, really? It's that you would grow spiritually. What is the purpose of Christ, that you would grow spiritually? So every single day, that should be your purpose and my purpose. We should wake up with that, that goal for every day. We should have that in mind for every situation, for every trial. And as a church, to say, you know what, we want to be growing spiritually. We don't want to stay what we are and who we are and what we were. No, we are growing toward this goal. And how does God want us to progress? And it may, it may look completely different from what you think of yourself as right now. So focus on Christ, focusing on Christ means having the same purpose, but it also means relying on him for the strength to pursue it. Paul says, I'm laboring. And that, that word represents toiling to the point of exhaustion where you can work no more. Completely Spent. He says, I'm laboring, I'm agonizing. That's the idea of competing. He grabs almost every word possible and uses it to, to communicate how hard he is working, but he says, I'm doing it according to his strength that works in me, right? So working hard but completely relying on God for the strength to do it. So focusing on Christ means having the same purpose that he has for you and relying on him for the strength to pursue it. Look at uh, chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4 verse 12. This is my prayer for you. Uh, I prayed through this this morning for you. I've prayed through this many times for you. I'll continue to pray this for you. And this reflects, I think, Christ's purpose for you as paul says of epaphras in in ephesians i'm sorry colossians chapter 4 verse 12 colossians 4:12 epaphras who is one of you a bondservant of christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of god Colossians is one of the first books that I studied It has shaped my life and ministry and of all the influence that God has allowed me to have in your lives and on this church, I hope that the most remarkable is that you believe in and follow and love and serve and worship and submit to and devote your whole being, your whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a boy young boy, young girl, teenage, young man, young woman, wherever you are in life, I hope that wherever you go, wherever you end up, whatever your life looks like, as you become an adult, as you make your own choices, and who knows, you may be right here, you may be someplace else in this state, in this country, or someplace else in the world. But I hope that there's an imprint on your mind and your heart that never goes away. That you will believe in and love and serve and worship and follow Jesus Christ. And that you will give your life to helping his church be everything that he wants it to be. A church full of Christ-focused people individuals will be a christ-focused christ-glorifying church i'm gonna ask the musicians to come we're gonna close with a song and then i'll have prayer after that um, so let's sing together and give thanks to our savior